Hi, I'm Biz. I'm a working parent with a kid and a teen. It's been 10 years since the show began, and a lot has changed on the show and in the world. But by elevating the voices of others, we have learned we are not alone, and we are doing a good job. This is still a show about life after giving life. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, dear God, why am I the president of everything? I didn't even vote. We talk about household gender inequality with Kate Mangino, author of Equal Partners. Plus, Biz saw a change. Woo! This is a check-in. Yay! My six-year-old is having friend problems. Yay! She has chosen to be friends with some of the meanest rudest grade two kids I've ever met. And then she has playdates with them and comes home crying because they were rude and mean. And yet she continues to go back to them because she knows them. And because one of them lives across the street from us. Mm-hmm. And so these are her friends. And it just, it always ends in tears. It always ends in tears. And so, you know, the silver lining is that we're moving in two months and she'll have to switch schools so she'll never see these asshole kids again. But in the meantime, I have to deal with this and walk her through the steps of choosing different friends. And I forgot that that would be part of parenting because, you know, my parents didn't do that for me because I'm a millennial and our parents didn't talk to us. So now I'm... Talking to my kid about things that I don't know how to talk to her about, (laughs) except that I've also had friends that were mean and rude, and so now I just, I don't know, I guess I help her with my own experiences. Is that (laughs) parenting? How much is oversharing with your own kid? I don't know. (sighs) On the other hand, my three-year-old has decided that About Damn Time by Lizzo is her favorite song, and (laughs) hearing a three-year-old thing about damn time is the cutest thing in the whole wide world, so I think I'm doing a really good job parenting. Thanks for the show, Biz. (laughs) You are doing a really good job parenting. And yes, it turns out sharing your own personal experiences with your children is a form of parenting. (laughs) How much is too much? Uh, I can't quite pinpoint the moment that I've overshared, but I have. And... (laughs) But you know what? That's part of it. And quite honestly, by talking to your kid about this, if you choose to talk to your kid about it, might help. And, uh, you know, you never know, but you got to try. And like you said, you're moving in two months. So goodbye, horrible children. Friends are hard at that age because, you know, they don't really have the exact experience to be friends. And I used to get, like, really mad watching, like, Daniel Tiger and Curious George and all these shows in which kids have these really healthy relationships with each other. And I'm like, how did they emotionally develop like that? That is not what children are like. (laughs) Children are inherently selfish and needy and don't understand social cues. So I just can't, like, it's hard. But to me, it sounds like you're doing an amazing, amazing job. Good job. Also, good job with the Lizzo song. I 
think that's genius. All right, here I have a story. This story goes out to everybody who has been with me since the beginning. It is an Ellis story. So earlier this week, I was taking the kids to school, and before we walked out the door, somebody's bucket, Ellis's bucket, got one extra splash of water in it. I'm talking emotional buckets, and it spilled. Something very small caused an epic meltdown, as well as a huge surge in feelings and then controlling the feelings and then collapsing on the floor and crying. And, and we had to get to school, right? <laughs> so I managed to get us into the car and we go off to school and Ellis is still pretty upset in the car. And we drop Raiden off and then we have probably 20 minutes before school starts, starts for Ellis, because Raiden school's earlier, blah, blah, blah. So I say, why don't we just hang out in the back seat for a little while? And as we're hanging out, Ellis begins to explain how they feel that they can't share their big emotions at school, that that's not allowed. And I'm like, honey, that is not the school we go to. I'm pretty sure it's allowed, but okay, listening, listening. And that they are too old to have big feelings, right? That like, you know, now he's in third grade. You know, kids don't have meltdowns now. And I was like, uh, you know what? I, I wonder if we should go in and talk to somebody that you like at the school. So we started with the learning specialist who has worked with Ellis in the past. And they were like, oh, you know, we talked straw that broke the camel's back. We talked about the big emotion surging and then trying to find ways to calm it down. And then they began to talk about calm down spots in the classroom. And Ellis is like, I do not have a calm down spot in the classroom. And the learning specialist is like, are you sure? Every class has one. I do not. I'm like, oh, well, then we should talk to your teachers and see where one is. And then they also talked about, they gave an example of an older kid just last week having really big emotions and needing to just walk around the school. And Ellis was like, I could do that? And they were like, yes. And so I said, all right, this is good. You know what? Maybe you can speak to your teachers about this too. You know, it's just like, mm, okay, maybe. But then it's time to, for school to start. So I already know the kids are up in the classroom. So I say, Ellis, do you want me to walk you up to class? And they said, yes. So we go up to the classroom. Turns out it's PE. And so it's just Ellis's teacher in there, one of Ellis's teachers. And so I was like, Ellis, do you want to talk about it? And so Ellis goes up, explains the big emotions, explains what they're feeling. The teacher's like, oh, I have those big emotions too. And there's a great calm down spot in our little reading area. And yeah, what's a good hand signal for knowing when you need to just get up and walk? You don't even have to say anything. And then in comes the other teacher who's like, hey, Ellis, do you want to go to PE? And Ellis is like, first, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, do you need me here? And Ellis is like, good and then I found out later that they talked about this as a whole class and Ellis had a chance to ask everybody in the class, do you have big emotions? Everybody raised their hand. And now Ellis helped establish that there is this calm down spot and that you can go walk and blah, 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 blah. The thing is, is I witnessed my child go from big emotions, overwhelming, scared and upset to confidence, 
to self-advocation. And it was so fucking awesome. It was amazing. And what was really great was that they were learning they could take care of it on their own and that I didn't have to be the person who came in and like regulated emotions for all the different people, blah, 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 which I think ties in really nicely to what we're going to talk about today with our guest about household chores and inequality, which includes emotional labor. Please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting advice. Ms. and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. Everybody, I am so excited and fired up because I am about to start talking with Kate Mangino, PhD, who is a gender expert and professional facilitator who works with international nonprofit organizations to promote positive social change. She has written and delivered curricula in over 20 countries about issues such as gender equality, women's empowerment, healthy masculinity, HIV prevention, and early and forced childhood marriage. She brings her lens of gender and social change to her debut book, Equal Partners, which addresses household gender inequality in the United States and offers practical advice as to what each of us can do to rewrite gender norms. Welcome, Kate. Should I call you doctor? You worked hard for it. I did, but please call me Kate. All right. Can I call you Dr. (laughs) Kate? I mean, I I can't help you if you're sick. I'm not that kind of doctor. It's fair, but it was still a ton of work. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Welcome. And I want to ask you what we ask all our guests to start off with. Who lives in your house? My house uh, is myself, my partner, Evan. We've been married 16 years. I have an 11-year-old daughter. I have an 8-year-old son. We have (laughs) an old cat. Yes. Lenny who is 12. And we have a rabbit named Derek, who is our newest addition. And we have a house cleaner who comes in one day every other week. So I always, I think that's really important. She's not part of our household, but she really helps because that's labor that I don't, and Evan doesn't have to do. So full disclosure. I like it. No, it's all about finding support. Yeah. Also eight and 11. Let me just ask, how are you? Oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, when they're little, when they're little, you're tired all yeah. the time and there's so much to do and you look forward to this stage. And there are many things I love about this stage. We're over naps, we're over tantrums, we're over bottles, we're over diapers. And they're still, they still like us, yeah, which is lovely. Like weekends are fun. Family vacations are fun. But there's, there's starting to be a lot of emotion mm-hmm. with schools and friends and disappointment and hurt feelings. And it makes me nostalgic for the days that I just had to give everyone a bath. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't wash away what's no. happening now. Yeah. So, no. And I don't think it's going to get easier in the no. next 10 years. Probably, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. 
But, you know, sometimes a nice bath does help. It can like, For you. For you. <laughs> you for have any of no us. control over the rest of it. But for you, hiding in the bathroom is always Always a, a good option. Yes. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about your first and brand new book, Equal Partners, the Household Gender Inequality. And I could start in a number of places. And everybody who's been listening to the show recently, I just want to let everybody know this falls into my beach read category of things that I really enjoyed reading. And I'm like, this is delicious. I'm just gonna, <laughs> oh yeah? Oh, tell me something I know. Now tell me something I don't know. You know, like I, <laughs> it's the weirdest collection of books that I've had in my beach read, but they, Gets me fired up, and I enjoy it. It's not it. the typical Janet Ivanovich. I mean, no. but I appreciate the fact yeah. that you're going for something new. Yes, it's not murder. <laughs> it's not a cute, cozy, and it's not a hot, you know, bodied romance. I remember reading Boys and Sex on the Beach, literally yes. on the beach by Peggy Ornstein when it came out. Oh and people my were, God. like, giving me looks. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. what are you reading? Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> you're like, something that will have deep impact. Uh, <laughs> all right. We are, as a society, talking more about gender imbalance. Okay. This is good for all of us. <laughs> and I think part of it is due to the experience of so many during the peak of the pandemic. A lot of those things still affecting us as we uh, return to whatever it is we're returning to or starting. And at the start of the book, you talk about some of the causes, structural causes, societal causes and problems. I would like to start there. I would like to start with a reflection on how we got here in a, guided by an expert, as opposed to me, who's like, I will tell you how we got here. <laughs> so... Oh, how did we get here? I mean, we've been getting here for a long <laughs> for a time. Long time. <laughs> it hasn't happened quickly. And it no. didn't, it wasn't because of a pandemic. It wasn't no. because of any, you know, it has been building for a long time. And it has been building. And the disconnection between perception and reality has also been building. And I think that's a big piece of what we're talking about. You know, for the myth of the the 1950s family when the mom stayed at home and the dad went to work. That happened in TV. That didn't actually happen in real life to too many people. For some, but there's plenty of families that have always had to have to dual working people. In agricultural families, you've always had dual working. No one can afford to stay home and not work on the farm when you're trying to run a family business. And the other thing that's been building is the conversation around gender and in households has been way too heteronormative for too long, where there's this assumption that it's a different sex couple. And we've also had this assumption that it has to include kids because it doesn't. It, it right. happens with or without kids. So I think, you know, just as a broad overview of how we got here, it's, I think it's social. I think it's structural. I think those two things connect with each other. So then the structural starts to influence the social and it has just led us to this boiling point where we had a pandemic. We were all shoved in our homes. Our support networks were cut off overnight. We no longer had aftercare and dog walkers and 
grandparents to help. We had nothing. And I think that the collapse that we all saw was just the end result of a system that was held together with bubble gum and Band-Aids for way too long. Well, and good PR in the sense of television. I mean, you know, when we started this show and I had a very young child, one of the theses of the show is, oh my God, I didn't realize this was going to be so hard and that I wasn't going to like it. And that like, why did I think if I bought everything from Pottery Barn and painted my walls white and had just the right furniture for my children in their room, everyone was going to be happy, (laughs) right? Like, you know, I grew up on the Brady Bunch and reruns of Father Knows Best. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I will readily admit I wanted to live that fantasy, okay? I mean, that was, there was something you know, appealing about it. And I'll be able to do this. I don't want to go to an office. I've got to stay home and I've got to, it's going to be great. It fucking sucked. (laughs) It was hard. And I say all of this because I've been, I've been having conversations with parents for a while now. And one of the things that I see and that you touch on in the book is this self-responsibility, right? Like we know, we know that there is an imbalance in household duties as well as emotional responsibilities. Yes. And the narrative that I hear more and more in different formats is, I was talking to a mom at the school the other day and she was saying, I was asking about sleep because she has a baby and a you know preschooler. And she says, you know what? I just, I just, take the kids in the bed and the night responsibility because, you know, my partner, who's a great partner, but when they don't get sleep, it's a real shit show in the morning. Like, then we're all fucked. We're all yeah. like, so we're I'm all just going to take whack. one for the so team. So I'll just take one for the team. And half the time, I don't even think there's been a discussion about it. Yeah. Right? It's just, yeah. it's just fucking easier. So I want to start by looking at when you do have kids in your house, however they got there. I want to hear your thoughts on that narrative that people in partnerships take on. I think it's a really important narrative. I think it's something a lot of us can understand. It resonates with me that the idea that it's more efficient, Mm -hmm. it's less disruptive, it's more amenable to everyone if I just do it. And I'm the silent, like I just, I take one for the team and I just do it and I suck it up and I get out during the night because I've learned how to function on five hours of sleep, or I just suck it up and I do this because for whatever reason, I think we've all learned how to do that. I think that the harm in that is we perpetuate the inequality that we detest. And so as a feminist, I would never in a million years tell anyone what they should or should not do. I think we all have to make decisions for ourselves and we Correct. and I respect the decision that everyone makes for themselves. I just am the person who's posing the question to say consider the harm that potentially could come from always doing that because you, in, instead of addressing the inequalities that you don't like, you're sort of bolstering them by default, right? If you don't speak up, we just perpetuate the status quo. And so to people who come back and say, yeah, but my life is so much and I have so much and this is the only way I can survive. I say, fine. If, If this year that's how you survive, fine. But 
have it in the back of your mind. And if there's ever room to choose inefficient or choose disruptive, to let that happen, to raise your kids in an environment that's acknowledging gender equality and trying to do something about it. You know, I trust each individual to do what they have the capacity to do, right? I mean, a friend told me ages ago, she said, you know, we all do the best we can on any given day. And you just have to assume everyone is doing the best they can on any given day. Yeah. What else can you ask for? Parenting's hard. No, it sucks. It's it's impossible. (laughs) It like quite literally is an impossible task that like, yeah. And and here's another here's another <laughs> this goes back to when you said how did we get here. Another yeah. way that we got here is we've focused this conversation on nuclear households for too yes. long. You're giving an insurmountable task to two people to say, "Oh, on top of everything else you have going on, could you also solve gender inequality?" Yes. This this <laughs> happened long before any of us were born. It's greater yeah. than any one person or any one family can solve. And so another big message of the book is to say, hey, grandparents, hey, aunts and uncles, neighbors, friends with no kids, faith community, wherever you are, if you value gender equality, there's something you can do to help it, right? You don't have to be a parent and you don't have to have little kids and you don't even have to have a partner. Yeah. But just to be aware of it, to be aware of the language that we use, the assumptions that we make, how we treat people in the office. I just think this is a conversation that needs to be at the community level, we're talking about the household, but it can't stay in the household. Well, no, the household is a secret hidden place where we keep all of our secrets dirty and laundry, we, all of our right? dirty laundry, and we're not supposed to talk about it. But I want to talk about it. I appreciate your saying everybody's got to do the best they can in their situations. And is also important to acknowledge that many are in situations in which choices are made for their safety, choices are made due to financial limitations, all sorts of things. With that said, having access to the knowledge of the imbalance, right? It, it, is, it doesn't surprise me or it wouldn't surprise me if people weren't aware Right. Like yeah. if it just has been something that's traditionally been part of your life yeah. and no one said maybe it sh- shouldn't maybe be that way. Maybe it doesn't way. have to be this way. I yeah. mean, honestly, so many people have had this journey with me. And like the way my mom talks about relationships now versus yeah. 16 years ago when I got married, totally different. I think that you're right. I think that and the couples that I interviewed for my book, you know, people ask me a lot, what's the difference between the older couples and the younger couples? I say they came to the same conclusions. The difference is the younger couples met each other with these shared values. And the older couples grew together because the way we talk about gender today and the way we talked about it 30 years ago, we just have words that that didn't exist 30 years ago. We have perspectives. We have voices that we didn't have. And so you've had to come on this journey together. Well, when we find ourselves in a place where we're ready to broach this with our support teams or with our partners or with, you know, all the people in our lives who can offer us support <laughs> and help. You talk about in the book, like, here are, the, here are like five facts to have in the back of your head. 
but your book expands on so many different facts. But so would you share some facts that will help us? Like, because I'm with you. I'm like, oh, it's back there. And I'm not thinking about it until suddenly I realize I am regulating my own emotions so I can emotionally regulate everybody else in this house so that they don't. But like, who's regulating for me? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I just find you like at the barbecue, right? Yeah. And like some you know, Egypt says something nasty to you and you're trying to think of the right comeback and words fail you. And then you go home and then you're mad at yourself that night because you, in the moment you weren't able to prove your point. So that's sort of why I came up with a couple (laughs) of statistics is sort of like, take a picture of this and just have it on your phone. So you can be like, excuse me. So one statistic, which is good is that in, we have chore journals that date back to the sixties which is fantastic. So we have all this data from decades of sort of looking at household balance. Now, downside, they look at different sex relationships, which doesn't only helps one segment of our population. But we know in 1965, men did 15% of the housework, one five. By 1985, they did 33%. So huge social change between 1965 and 1985, which also mirrors women's participation in the workforce. So we saw more women in the workforce and more men in the household. And that's interesting. Between 1985 and now, that has moved from 33% to 35%. Ouch! Which in my mind <laughs> kind of is like a plateau. Like, yeah. like I could bicycle up 2%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's not much. <laughs> and I'm not fit. So yeah. <laughs> So I just, that's not impressive. So if you look at sort of generation, like the millennials didn't really do much with household. So I think, you know, when people assume we're changing, aren't we naturally changing young people? They seem so gender fluid and, you know, yes, but it's not transitioning to household behavior yet that we have been able to detect. So I think that's a really good thing to know. And today in 2022, the, the average household, both partners work. Both partners contribute to family income and two thirds of the work falls on one person and one third of the work falls on the other. I refer to this as a male role and female role in my book because I don't want to link it to our gender identity because Mm. these are behaviors. These are not biological. I have had many male readers who have written me and just said, thank you, because I have felt invisible because I am the cognitive labor of my home. Yeah. My wife earns money. She's emotionally distant. And all of the frustrations that you talk about in your book are frustrations I have. Yeah. And plenty of same-sex and queer couples have reached out to me with the same message saying, you know, we're battling the same thing, but it's not about gender identity. It's just about social patterns really more than anything. So that's good to remember is sort of, we have this two-third, one-third split and Chore journals only take into account physical labor, folding laundry, bathing kids, cooking dinner, anything cognitive, planning, managing, anticipating isn't even detected. And I think about all the times when if I was filling out a chore journal, I would say from 8 to 810, I was taking a shower. But when I was in the shower, I was planning tomorrow night's dinner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And thinking about what I have to do for work so I can take an hour off for the parent teacher meeting. And that we're not, we not, we're not there yet. We haven't found a way to capture. Yeah. We call it, we call it on this show, 
instead of making a to-do list, we should make a I did it list where you are listing all of that, remembering the dog's medicine, remember it, you know, picking up, because there are times where you are literally picking up, dropping off, picking up again, dropping off, then yeah. going to get, and then, and you're working and you're juggling and you're, I mean, you're right there. Those lists do not reflect all of the work that people are doing. What I also thought was interesting was a look at what the jobs were that people took on, that like a lot of the jobs traditionally taken on by men in these traditional relationships were jobs that if they just decided not to do it that day, it didn't have a huge impact, like mowing the lawn. Well, they, well, I do lawn and I keep the house, mate, you know, all that stuff. If the sink leaks, if the light bulb's not changed, it's okay, right? Yeah. Like versus they're not having groceries picked up or... Exactly. Right. Yeah. I actually had um, a friend on Twitter, and I'm using quotation marks, <laughs> who Ooh, said recently, like, I'm, I'm so tired of this conversation. We've, this is this is not new. We've had this a million times. It's so dull. You've, you've added nothing new to the world. My wife and I have perfect balance. <laughs> I do the outside. She does the inside. I don't see what the problem is. And I didn't say anything back. Because you are so smart. Because there's no reason no to say anything back. However, we I wanted to say if you would have read chapter two, yeah, yeah, it's chapter two, man. You would know that. <laughs> and so I think that this is this is one way that we perpetuate these roles and stereotypes is because the way we have delegated tasks in the two thirds, one third, we do have two buckets. One person isn't doing zero and one person right. isn't doing a hundred. We have delegated and there's a false, this is again, this is the difference between reality and perception. There's a perception that they're equal buckets, but the reality is they're very unequal buckets and you have one person doing way more work than the other person. I think that indoor, outdoor is one way that happens. I think having a manager and a helper is another way that happens. Yeah. I hear men say all the time, you know, my wife is the manager of the house and I help, I'm always happy to help her out. Like, I don't, I don't want to help her. I don't, I don't I want to don't give wanna you manage. a list of things right. to do. Yeah. I don't want to manage your stuff. Right. It's another task to yeah. manage. To do. And then heaven forbid you remind them and then uh, you're a nag. Right, so right, just, right. Yes. That, well, we've been in that. Am I, and you know, I think I, we have a married, a feminist and all of these good things and as our relationship progresses, things get equal uh, even more and more to the point where sometimes I'm like, do I feel bad that I'm just never raising my hand to do dinner anymore? And then I'm like, no, I don't. Because for like six of those years while he worked and traveled, I was making dinner and I thought I was going to, you know, break my foot. I was so sick of dinner. Yeah. But the thing is, is that we've had those conversations about the nagging about like saying, I brought to you these concerns. We've had this discussion, but the cycle is, I know you here. And then a week passes and it's not done. And two weeks passes and it's not done. And it's become this situation in which now I'm putting an energy realizing that something hasn't gotten done. I'm trying to set my boundary to not just fucking do it. And I'm having to ask you, yeah. Which then makes me, even though you don't see me as a nag, I feel yeah. like I'm like a 
cartoon stereotype. And this was not a one and done conversation, right? So I think that that is an important thing to, to bring up, that these are conversations that we have to develop and evolve and work with. How are ways to start those conversations? How do we start them, move through them, whatever? Yeah, I, I mean, because every family is going to be a different outcome. But so I think the best place to start it is with younger people. So start it with teenagers, start it with your nieces and your nephews, or if you have older kids, or if you make it, you know, there are some things that aren't talked about with younger. And because when you're 22 and you're in love (laughs) and you're, and it's like your relationship is physical, you're not going to talk about who's going to pick up the kid in 15 years. (laughs) Who cares? But just you, we need to put it on the radar of younger people that this is a major problem now and it's not fixing itself without some intentional work. And so it's, you know, I don't think anyone who's 17 is going to pick up my book and that's, that's totally fine. But someone who's 45 might pick it up and then have that conversation, conversation. with a niece or a younger cousin and just be like, for example, here's some questions you might want to go over if you're thinking of moving in with someone or, you know, it just kind of helps talk to people and put this, you know, we have to talk to everyone, like if you're interested in having a partner someday, here's some things you need to be thinking about. I think it just makes you a good human. But so that's, that's like my number one thing is that we're not talking about right. this with younger people. It's like miscarriage. Like no one talks about a miscarriage until it happens. Oh, we should be talking about it all the time. Anyway, whatever. Exactly, that's, because we've what, had that show multiple but, times. Okay. So I'm just saying, but it's, this is one of those yeah. topics that you just yeah. have to talk about, even though it's uncomfortable, because until we talk about it, it's not going to get any better. Then if you're in it, if you're in a relationship and you want to change your own dynamic with your own partner. I think a great way to start is is take it as much as humanly possible away from you and me Mm. and talk about the fact that like this, that's what happened to me. These are social patterns that are happening broadly. We have data to show that there are thousands of partnerships all over North America and beyond falling into these. And it's having a negative output for both of us. It's bad for for the one of us who's doing the more work and it's bad for the person who's doing less work and it's leading to problems for both of us. And let's talk about this so we don't fall into the same situation. And I think from what I hear it, a lot of these conversations start from the person who's doing more work because you're just fucking tired and you're resentful and you're bitter (laughs) and you're pissed and you just want him to step up or her to step up and they're not yeah, or them to step up. And so, because you come from this place of bitterness and resentment, it gets angry and it gets personal very quickly. Of course. And so as much as you can pull it back up to gender norms, I'm mad at gender norms. I'm not mad at you. And I also want, you know, tell me, tell me what gender norms make you uncomfortable. What are you doing that you don't want to do? Yeah. It could be your partner is also doing a whole bunch of stuff they're not happy about because they feel like they have to, but you don't know it because you've never had that conversation. So find a space where, yes, you can you can vent and you listen to them vent. And you might learn something. I mean, I had one, a young woman uh, living with her boyfriend, no kids. And she said, she started the conversation by saying, 
you know, what are you frustrated with? And all this stuff came out that he felt like he was pushed out of the home and he had to do all of this, you know, work stuff and make a certain amount of money or else she wouldn't. And she was just like, oh my God, yeah, no, that's crazy. I yes. don't feel that way. <laughs> Why do you think that? And so, but she's like, I never would have asked him those questions had I not read your book and kind of come at it from more of a social yeah. conversation as opposed to you and me. I don't know. I mean, that could fail too, but at least well, it's, sure. it's but- another tactic. <laughs> well, but I mean, I am a huge believer in talking about the stuff that's not talked about and talking about it earlier rather. It's only uncomfortable because we don't talk about it, right? Yes. Like yes. I no longer find those conversations uncomfortable because we have them all the time. And yeah. I deserve and my partner deserves to be heard, right? Yeah. But I think, and you you do such a nice job in this book, focusing on how the same structural and social norms of the past affect women, gender. I mean, it's also having a bad impact on men, this notion of breadwinner, this notion of a yeah. certain amount or I have no value or the be a man or the like mm-hmm. toughen up. And it's just as destructive. So I just, I really value, I mean, yeah, if you're going to be, a, I'm a, I am of a feminist mind that it's all of us, right? So it's, it, I think that's really important. I want to end on, I love the word expert. I'm always, <laughs> it always tickles me, but you, you are, you got your doctorate. So you get to be an expert, but so my, <laughs> my question is, you know, I start reading the book, right? And I'm like, well, duh. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, well, I know this. But I would assume, as an expert, there were a lot of things that you kind of knew were going to be going into this book. What in your conversations with people or the process of writing this book, were there things that surprised you or that you were like, I did not, I had not thought of this in this way, this manner that, yeah, that just shifted you? So first of all, yes, I will answer that. And first of all, my (laughs) editor and I actually went back and forth quite a bit about how much groundwork do we put into the book as opposed to just starting from sort of the assumption that you know everything that I put in chapters one through four. Right. We landed at the end of, I said, I am tired of academics writing smarty pants articles with long words that are brilliant and beautiful and 10 people read it, right? And so my my piece of the puzzle is I'm trying to not preach to the choir, but grow the choir. I'm trying to reach out to those people. I'm trying to reach out to people (laughs) that ordinarily don't think about gender. And it's kind of working that way. So- So my intention, so I did, like, I had a couple of early readers who were grandmas who have never taken a gender studies class because it didn't exist when they were in, right? And they told me, like, we don't know what these words mean. And we're, we're too embarrassed to ask anyone because we're afraid we're going to be told that we're dumb or old or out of it or that we're going to say something offensive by accident. We can't talk to our grandkids about it because they make fun of us. So I added a glossary. Like that that came out of that conversation (laughs) because they didn't know what non-binary meant. They didn't know. And they were too scared to ask. So anyway, so 
we did try to lay a lot of groundwork in the book. What did I learn? The number one thing that I learned was that when I interviewed equal partners, I thought I was going to figure out something amazing that was going to be the title of my book and get me world fame. Like to be an equal partner, you have to have an older sister or you you ate Cheerios as a child. Like I was hoping, like I dug into these men's lives to such an extent that I thought there has to be a link between these 40 people. There was no link. And that was super frustrating for me. I mean, I found threads, yeah, but there was nothing that all of these 40 people had. And I was like, oh my God, if I can't find a link between 40, there's no way you can find one between 40,000 or 4 million. But here's the lovely part is that it's all about agency and it's all about support networks. That's what the link was, is they all finally decided like, screw social norms. This is how I want my partnership to be. I'm going to work against structural norms. I'm going to work. I'm going to stand up against my family. I'm not going to let the guys at work needling me get to me. I'm going to do this. And none of them did it on their own. Some of them, it was their partner who really helped them. Some of them, it was friend groups. Some of them, it was ex-partners that got them there. Aunts and uncles, camp counselors. A couple of them, of these men, were raised in violent and abusive households. And it was, you know, sort of like after school, high school programs that got them there. So it's a combination of agency and support. But anyone can be an equal partner. And that helps me now when I hear men, particularly older, white, straight, cis men, will say, that's just not the way I was raised. Bullshit. That's just not an excuse anymore. We can't, I don't care how you were raised because all these people were raised to be the manly breadwinner too. And they've chosen a different path. So I just don't, I think I've learned it's more about the future and less about the past. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's also what was coming to mind was you know, the only limitations are the limitations you put on yourself. I mean, like we do, we all walk around with baggage and narratives based on our own life experiences. And Lord knows if a kid winds up in your house, that'll bring up all kind of fun stuff and make you hopefully make you question and, you know, revisit and relook at where those things come from. Yeah. And I want to say how much I appreciate the work, I agree that the book, you know, growing up writing book reports and blah, blah, blah in school, my mother would always like proofread everything. And she would say, same comment every time, write it as if the person reading it has never read the book. Right. And which is always such a good point. And I have applied that to multiple things in my life, not just book reports. And you're right. I mean, i gender studies minor, blah, blah, blah. I've been doing the show. I, you know, like <laughs> I'm a person. Right, you're up here. You can, I'm, we can yeah, have this. Yeah. Right. We can have this conversation, but not everybody has, which is actually more normal. <laughs> so, you know, who aren't treating this as a beach read and the book takes its time laying it out without shame and without judgment for really anybody in it, which is remarkable when we get into tough issues like this. 
So I want to say how much I appreciate you writing the book and coming on and talking with me about it. This is this is probably one of the most critical issues for, I know that it's for everybody, but because of the show that we are doing for parents. Yeah. And I've spent many hours talking about resentment on this, on this show. And like, it's, you know, I just want to emphasize, and I think your book emphasizes that it's okay and that that's normal and we need to start having these conversations. Everybody, you know where to buy books, but we're going to link you up in the show notes because that makes life easier and it's one last thing you've got to manage. We'll also link you up to where you can find out more about Kate Mangino. Kate, thank you so much for your work and for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was a truly lovely way to spend a Friday afternoon. <laughs> Wonder, I agree. <laughs> Hi, I'm Hal Loveland. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. And we're the hosts of We Got This with Mark and Hal, the weekly show where we settle the debates that are most important to you. That's right. What arguments are you and your friends having that you just can't settle? Apples or oranges? Marvel or DC? Fork versus spoon. Chocolate or vanilla? Best bagel. What's the best Disney song? We got this with Mark and Hal. Every week on Maximum Fun, we do the arguing so you don't have to. Oh, all answers are final for all people for all time. We got this. Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius fail time. Genius, Mimi. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I saw what you did. Oh, my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh, my God. That's fucking genius. Okay. I will. On Saturday, I just announced to Stefan that I just really needed to be in my room crafting around, making some art. And I just, I just, I needed it. I needed it. And it happened. And I painted and I glued little weird odds and ends to things and just did a bunch of weird art stuff. And it was so nice. It was so nice. This is a genius. This morning, my daughter dropped something extremely heavy on her bare foot by accident and started howling and screaming uh, and was in a lot of pain. And my first genius was that I remained calm. <laughs> my second genius was that I asked her if she would like me to put some peanut butter on her foot so that the dog could lick it off, <laughs> at which point she started laughing through her tears and agreed to it. And so I did this, and the dog did lick it off, and she instantly felt better. I didn't need an ice pack. I didn't need Band-Aids. I didn't need anything else. Uh, it was all over within five minutes, and I felt like such a genius and wanted to let you all know. Thanks so much for the show. You're doing a great job. Oh, my gosh. So are you. See, that is just some 
grade A quality genius parenting right there. Little distraction, little excitement, a little something completely ridiculous. And it's really sweet. That's such a sweet little thing. I just, that's such a good job. You are totally a genius. You are amazing. Failures. Fail, 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 fail. You suck. Okay. As stated, I am the parent organization president at our school because I like to do more than I should. (laughs) And we were planning an event for a middle school and high school potluck for families. Now, for three weeks, I worked on making sure that faculty would be there, communicating this to the school, sent it out in emails, posted it on the school Instagram. I mean, I am living middle school potluck in my mind. And the night before, Raiden walks up and says, there's a potluck? And is so upset that all of their friends know about this potluck and that they don't know about this potluck. And I, which is a huge anxiety trigger for Raiden. And I just was like, like I, like I wanted to somehow fix it and like backtrack it and like, I don't know, blame someone else. It's <laughs> quite honestly what I wanted to do. But I just had to say, yeah, I, 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 do you know how weird that sounds to say, I don't know why I didn't tell you? And I know it's just because we're all juggling a lot and we're remembering a lot of schedules and blah, 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 blah. But wow, everyone knew about the middle school potluck that I planned except my own child. Yeah, I, I felt like a shithead. <laughs> hey. Calling with a fail, and the fail is I have a shitty fucking attitude. <laughs> I have been out of town all weekend, and it was a holiday, and we came home, and I have a four-year-old and an almost three-year-old, and I'm just tired, and then I had to get up and go to work at 6.30 in the fucking morning, so I didn't see my kids. When they woke up, which was, you know, it was fine. It's not abnormal. It's just not normal. And then an outing that I was supposed to have last week with friends was rescheduled for tonight. So I was out of town all weekend. I didn't see my kids when they woke up this morning. I got to pick them up from daycare and get them home and settled. But now I'm leaving again to go do this thing that's really fun. But I just have a really shitty fucking attitude about it. And that's my fail, is that I'm supposed to be doing something fun. And all I want to do is be at home and (laughs) be miserable with my kids. So I'm going to try and channel some fun times to have with my friends that I haven't seen in a long time. While also trying to ignore the fact that my fridge is empty. I haven't seen my kids except for maybe like a half hour today and uh, and I still have to deal with all the stuff from being out of town for a long weekend. Oh, what was me? I was out of town for a long weekend with extended family. See, the really, I have a really shitty fucking attitude <laughs> and I will try to work on that. Thanks for listening. Bye. Oh, yeah. Your fail is not coming back from an extended weekend 
relaxed, revived, and ready to jump in with both feet into perfect, happy parenting. How dare you? How dare you? You are doing a horrible job. (laughs) You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you. When I have a problem, I call you on the phone. I love you. I love you. Most game shows quiz contestants about topics they don't even care about. But for 100 episodes, the Go Fact Yourself podcast has asked celebrity guests trivia about topics they choose for themselves. And introduced them to some of their personal heroes along the way. Oh my gosh. Shut up. (laughs) Oh, I feel like I'm going to cry. Oh my stars. (laughs) It's so so exciting to meet you. Join me, J. Keith Van Stratton. And me, Helen Hong, along with special guests DJ Jazzy Jeff and Faith Saley, plus some amazing surprise experts on the 100th episode of Go Fact Yourself. And join us twice a month, every month, for new episodes of Go Fact Yourself here on Maximum Fun. All right, everybody. It's time to listen to a mom have a breakdown. Good morning. Um, I just need somewhere to put this. I don't know what it is. I just dropped my kindergartner off at school and took him to the little line where they all line up. And this little angel-faced kindergartner who was right in line in front of him looks at me and they go, uh, hey, you know, he's a little bit bad sometimes. And I'm well aware of how my child behaves. And I was disappointed that he's already has a reputation, not even a month into school. We're going to therapy today to continue to work on behaviors. Uh, we're really doing our best. But I'm really pleased with how I handle it. I just, or how I handled it. I just, I looked at that kid and I said, oh, oh. Well, you know, we're all a little bad sometimes, aren't we? And they said, yeah. So I don't know. We're all doing our best. All right. Bye. You are doing such a good job. And you're right. You responded correctly. You did not lean into that angel-faced little girl and say, fuck you. All right. First off, we got to look at our language. If a if a small preschool child says that a kid is bad, that is from the perspective of somebody who doesn't have a lot of language and and can only really comprehend quote unquote good and bad, right? And then then we got to dig into like what is good and bad in the world of preschool and kindergarten and even elementary school. Is it good if you can sit still? Or is it, and are you bad if you can't? I mean, this is something we really are trying to look at, at least I hope, (laughs) as a society. Because kids do not know how to regulate their emotions yet. We talked about this with biting, right? Like we, 
We talk, I mean, some kids, Ellis has to jump. Ellis jumps and jumps and jumps at school when they are happy or when they are thinking and they are having a good time. But we have learned that that wasn't something that ever just left, right? Like we're like, oh, and I was like, I think that's going to be around for a long time. But because we didn't treat it like a societal good or bad norm, we're able to communicate it with the teachers and the teachers are able to know. Your baby, my friend, is doing their best. They are doing a good job. And I'm not like, it is so good that you are getting therapy for your family, for you and the child. You know, one of the things I think I just never realized about parenting until like well into the game was that the more I sort of emotionally fought who my children were, because they weren't what I just, I don't know, imagined or thought or weren't me or whatever. And I changed the question to how do I best parent, support, and love who they are? It just made a huge difference. Don't let a small child dictate how you feel about your child. And I say that knowing how triggering it is when a kid, I mean, I had, oh my God, I can remember this kid in kindergarten who came up when Ellis was in kindergarten, who came up to me. Now this kid always, if Ellis said, don't tell my mom, I want to tell my mom, like this thing that happened in class, that kid would immediately tell me, right? Which triggered Ellis, which made Ellis be like, right? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, kid, what is your problem? And then that kid said to me one day when I was at the school, Ellis cries a lot. And I was like, I I did not lean in. I said, I like you leaned in and said something very wise, like, well, that's okay. You know, we all have big feelings and we're learning. Ellis is learning how to share those feelings. Doesn't anything ever make you cry? And the kid was like, no. And I, oh, I wanted to be like, <laughs> oh, yeah? Is that a dare? But I, <laughs> I didn't. But let me tell you how long that comment stuck with me. There should be no expectations of a kindergartner's emotional development, okay, in terms of I don't know, manning up for kindergarten? (laughs) Like, what? If something goes wrong, you're not supposed to cry? Like, I just, but it stuck with me because there is that notion sometimes that if your kid loses it publicly, that that somehow indicates negative or wrong. And, And I'm just done with that. I do not believe in that. I do not think that is the case. Do our children need help and assistance learning? Yes. Is that something we can do? Sometimes. Is that something we need support with? Sometimes. And it sounds to me like you are supporting your child in every way. And you know what? You are right. You are doing the best job that you can, and your child is doing the best job that they can, and... Everybody in that family is doing the best job that they can. And I understand the feeling experience that you're having. And it's doubly fucked up 
because a small child triggered it for you. (laughs) But that's all it is, is a feeling experience. It's not the reality experience. And you are doing a remarkable job. All right, everybody. This was a whopper, wasn't it? I'm (laughs) like, I've been sitting with the discussion about gender inequality in the household. And like I guess said, it doesn't mean that this is something that only affects partnered relationships or heterosexual partnered relationships. If you are a solo parent and you've got grandparents or relatives who are at your house or help with the kids, that is still another place where gender inequality can happen, okay? If you don't have kids, but you have a partner, that is where it can happen. I mean, seriously, think about, you know, going over to a relative's house and watching the gender inequality happening in that house in front of you, or them having expectations of what you should be doing for them. So the book is so good. And it, as long, you know, we're not going to fix it today, especially in our own homes, but we can start by being aware, being mindful, listening to that voice inside of you that says, this is too much. This is too much. I can't do this. Starting the discussion with the people in your life as to how to navigate this, how to make sure that responsibility abilities are split the best that they can because you don't have to be president of everything. You are all doing an amazing, remarkable job. This is not even a little easy, and yet there you are doing it. I will talk to you next week. Bye. I got to low down mama blues. I got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. You know that right. We'd like to thank Max Fun, our producer, Gabe Mara, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Well, daddy, baby, fussing by, not throw down mama blue. Oh, said daddy, baby, fussing by, not throw down mama blue. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.